Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Welcome on back to another edition of the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast. It is Friday, October 18th. My name is Jake Luke, and I'm joined by my co-host, Spencer Schultz. Wow. Friday, October 18th. We are getting into the thick of things. It's week seven. Oh, I don't like that. We're almost all the way through. Like the football season is going to be gone and I'm going to be depressed watching college kids run 40s again for six months. You know, it's depressing at first, but I, I like to settle into the off season and kind of, you know, relieve myself from the stresses of having to watch the Ravens for 17 straight weeks plus. So true. So true. Uh, the stress is at an all time high right now. It's not so bad. They got a comfortable two game lead, but yeah, we're in the thick of things, man. Bye week coming up. So we'll get a nice little relaxation after what I think is going to be a highly entertaining game, if nothing else. Yeah, definitely. It uh, figures to be a little bit of a shootout, wouldn't you think? Um, And we definitely are going to get into that in our preview. And we also got into it with a preview with our guest. It is uh, Mr. Brandon Schultz of the Field Goals podcast. And also, what is his other podcast called? You guys want to plug that for him? Seahawks Net? Seahawkers podcast. So check both of those out to get some insight from him. Uh, We had him on for a quick 20-minute spot to give us his thoughts on how he sees this one playing out. Yeah, and it's interesting. So these teams never play each other, but there's a lot of common denominators from Earl Thomas, who was obviously a longtime Seahawk. Greg Roman, who was a longtime offensive coordinator in the Harbaugh era, uh, has quite a bit of experience playing against the Seahawks as the 49ers coordinator, seeing them two plus times a year. Those teams are both dominant at the same time. So a little bit of crossovers here and there, and it should be exciting. I think this is going to be a really fun matchup. I'm having a really hard time. Like, I want to say it's going to be a shootout, but I'm having a hard time. I feel like these two run first offenses and the defenses practice against Lamar Jackson and Russell Wilson every day who aren't stylistically, I wouldn't say like exactly the same, but they have the same threats as part of their repertoire. They can do some similar things, although it might look a lot different. Um, so this this game is something I, I'm, I'm not really sure how it's going to play out, uh, but we'll get a little bit more into that on the other side. Yeah, definitely. It's similar DNA as a franchise. So we're going right. to see how it plays out, definitely. Um, but I guess without further ado, we can just throw it to the interview with Brandon. And on the other side, we are going to have our preview. How's that sound? Yes, sir. All right. All right, we are now joined by a very special guest. It is a Seahawks-centric guest because the Ravens are taking off the Seahaw- taking on the Seahawks this week, in case you hadn't heard. It is Mr. Brandon Schultz of the Field Goals Podcast. How are you doing today, sir? 
I am doing great, guys. Appreciate you having me on. Absolutely, man. Um, appreciate the uh, little home and home episode we're doing here because I just appeared on your show. So uh, to just plug that for you, I'm going to be on that. So check out the Field Goals podcast for this week if you want to hear more of my voice for some reason. But um, just kind of starting this off, we were talking a little bit on the other show about how it's a very unique matchup and the Ravens have a pretty unique player at quarterback. Uh, it's safe to say. So if you kind of just to start things off, if you had to describe Lamar Jackson in one sentence, what would it be? Oh, man. <laughs> He's scary. I, as a Seahawks fan, the, the dude watching him run around in the backfield, he's he's scared because not only can he run the football, but he can sling it down the field, too. You know, I my concern now is that now that Lamar has won the air and the land player of, of the week, he's now coming for the sea. And so if he wins this weekend, his nickname has to become Lamar Seal Jackson. we got to make this happen. <laughs> if if he wins, if he loses, it's out. God, that's funny. He'll be uh, operating on all three levels there. And I love that. Yeah, uh, definitely Russell Wilson scary as well. That goes without saying, as he's been lighting the league on fire. Uh, but Jackson is unique, and he's such a interesting player to defend. What is one thing that you think he would do well against Seattle? And how do you think the Seahawks might be able to conversely take advantage of him, if you had to say? Well, I don't know if there's necessarily any taking advantage of him other than, you know, they do have some they have a couple veteran guys on in the secondary uh, Bobby Wagner, obviously KJ Wright. So can those veterans do something at the linebacker spot to, to show him something that maybe he, he thinks he sees and doesn't quite see to where they can go after him. I think, you know, obviously his speed, I, it concerns me against veteran linebackers like Bobby Wagner, like KJ Wright. Michael Kendricks is probably the fastest linebacker out of the group. He's kind of been struggling so far this season. So I am looking for the linebackers, hopefully to contain him in, in some way. But you know, I just, I go back and I, I watch some of those games. And as soon as he makes the decision to run, it's, it, I mean, it's, it's tough to, it, it kind of reminds me of Michael Vick in a way, though, just the way that he moves. And uh, there, there's just not a whole lot of guys in the league that are like that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he there's a lot of dimensions to his game. And conversely, there's a lot of dimensions to Baltimore's offense. Let's say that for whatever reason, you are granted the ability to remove one of these players from their offense for this game. You just pick one guy and he's inactive and you don't have to deal with him. Who would it be? Gosh, um, probably Mark Ingram. Just because I, I feel like his physical presence, the way he sets the tone, it, we struggled uh, against Nick Chubb uh, and the Browns. Uh, Alvin Kamara was another uh, running back that the Seahawks struggled against uh, when we played the Saints. So I, as long as you make the team one dimensional and I feel like taking away Mark Ingram would, would do that to a certain extent. And so that would be the one guy. Absolutely. And playing off of that, if let's say you're playing DraftKings and you must pick a Raven to do well for your fantasy team, who are you going to pick? Uh, well, see, I'm an Oklahoma Sooner guy. And so I would pick uh, Marquise Hollywood Brown. Great pick. Great pick. He did not practice today, but hopefully he's able to sneak in there and take the top off. He's going to uh, play. He's, <laughs> he's just one of those guys that, you know, it, it, yeah, he'll. There's a couple of guys on the Seahawks injury report, too, that I that I know are, are going to be there, even though they they took a, a day off on Wednesday, too. Yeah, a little bit of cat and mouse. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're being cagey. You got to think they're being a little bit cagey there. So let's say just kind of looking at it from a more macro viewpoint, we've already mentioned Ingram and Hollywood Brown. You know, Lamar Jackson presents a ton of problems. Let's say you're Ken Norton. What would kind of your approach against this offense be? Because it's not an offense that you're going to see week to week within the league. It, it's almost like in college football, you're an Oklahoma guy. It's almost like when you play a service academy and you have to completely change your defense to play like some sort of triple option school, whether it's like Army or whoever. This isn't quite that, but it's definitely unique for the NFL. So what would kind of your approach be in defending them? Well, I think the fortunate thing for the Seahawks is that they do have experience defending against the read option, you know, playing against San Francisco when, when Colin Kaepernick and Frank Gore were, were in San Francisco, uh, you know, Russell Wilson obviously has run it. So they know how to, to defend against that in practice. Um, so I, I think that they're going to have it figured out and 
unfortunately, I think what it means for you guys is like we've seen from the Seahawks in almost every previous week, it's going to mean that there's not going to be a lot of pressure on Lamar Jackson because those defensive linemen, those linebackers, they aren't going to be playing to put pressure on Jackson. They're going to be playing to contain the run. Absolutely. And you brought up an interesting point there as Greg Roman had a long stint in San Francisco. Yes. And the Seahawks are obviously very familiar with that style. And also the fact that the Ravens and the Seahawks offenses are somewhat similar. Power run first two mobile quarterbacks that can make plays. Uh, But flipping over onto the other side of the ball, if you were Seattle's or excuse me, if you were the Ravens offensive coordinator, what would your approach to the Seahawks be? Mm, I would look for Mark Andrews to have a big day and, and go in his way because the Seahawks defending against tight ends has been a bit of a struggle. Uh, we saw Seals Jones with the Browns have a big day uh, running up. You know, they found a way to get him open, uh, get a touchdown. They went up on Seattle early. I'd also I would try and get up on Seattle relatively quickly because that's been if you allow them to hang in the game. Uh, that they're going to find a way to climb back in it if you get a, a one or two touchdown lead. They're, they're not afraid once they go down by a score or two that they can get back into the game. So I, I would want to get up early on in this game to to try and apply as much pressure as I can. And I, I would definitely go toward Mark Andrews a lot. Yeah, definitely. He has gotten off to a great start this season somewhat surprisingly I mean people were expecting him to do really well but maybe not even to this extent putting up the uh, production that he has so him doing so in a a hostile environment would be huge but I guess that's enough on the offense for now sort of moving over to the defense we got a little bit of what I like to call an elephant in the room game I have a lot of names for games but this is an elephant in the room game the elephant in the room is Earl Thomas and what are you expecting him out of this game I would expect him to come back and, and be kind of fired up to, to play in Seattle once again. I don't expect there to be any kind of hostility really toward Earl Thomas just because, you know, he was part of uh, the Super Bowl winning team. And just for what he meant uh, in his time with the team, I know a lot of fans would have liked to see him stay in Seattle, even after some of the drama that, that he caused in Seattle. So uh, I would expect him and, and it's there's no hard feelings with Pete Carroll. So I, I think that'll be kind of a, a nice reunion with Earl Thomas coming back. And I do think that you know, he's a guy that knows Russell Wilson pretty well. So he might he might know some things that he, that he can try and do to uh, force Russell into a couple situations. But Wilson's playing at just such a high level so far this year. I, I don't see him I, zero turnovers so far. So I, I don't see himself putting him in, in any kind of position to where he's turning the ball over to this Ravens defense. Absolutely. I saw on playerprofiler.com, which just gives some a little bit different statistics in some websites. Wilson has only thrown one interceptable pass, one pass that... <laughs> could have been intercepted and that's obviously tops is in the that NFL. Good? so yeah high score high score what does that mean did i break it um <laughs> but he's been playing on a, a completely other level uh so it'll be interesting to see how him and thomas kind of go at it outside of thomas who are other players if there are any that concern you with this ravens defense well, definitely not anybody on the defensive line. Uh, just watching some of the past games, it, it just it didn't see like there was you know, any of those pass rushers that I'm necessarily worried about. Uh, you know, Zardaria Smith now gone. Uh, and I guess the guy that I look to, especially in that secondary, is Marlon Humphrey. You know, he has uh, he's only given up what, like half a um, you know, looking at his receiving percentage, it's under 50 percent. Um, you know, he has he's leading the team in pass breakups, I think, and has two picks. So I'm I guess I'm a little bit worried about Humphrey, even though that, you know, as a Seahawks fan, I saw Marcus Peters a couple weeks ago. I'm, I'm not so worried about him. I probably worry more about Humphrey. Yeah, definitely. We were talking about Humphrey on your show just a little bit ago, and I was singing his praises like uh, he was my son or something. So, um, yeah, it's an interesting dynamic here we have with Humphrey because he is sort of like I was telling you, he's that guy that is so, so good and just completely underrated by the media on a national level. So, uh, yeah, any Seahawks fans that are listening to this uh, get dialed in on Marlon Humphrey. Well, it, you know, I, it, there wasn't anything that I saw watching the game on him. So I'm, I'm guessing that in the games that I did watch, they just 
just weren't going his direction. But, uh, you know, the, as, a, as a corner, that's usually a good thing. Yeah, that's a lot of it. They're not throwing his way. And when they do, he's either coming up for some vicious run stuff. He won the game in Pittsburgh, forcing the fumble. He's got a couple of picks this year, including one last week. So he's a guy that's really playing, you know, at a tremendous level. So as far as like Seattle's approach on offense, like what is the plan going to be facing a defense that has struggled a bit at times in 2019, despite, you know, some good play from guys like Humphrey? Oh, I expect the Seahawks to be running the ball with Chris Carson in this game. And he's been really he's so physical in his style and wants to just run guys over and and show his his physical dominance. And one of the things that kind of bit him early on in the first three games of the season is he put the football on the ground in in each of those first three games. But he seems to have any fumbling issues worked out that he had because he's now gone three straight games where he hasn't given up the football, put it on the ground. So I'd expect the, the heavy dose of Chris Carson. And then, you know, you have Tyler Lockett. That's kind of the number one receiver for the Seahawks. Now I'm, I'm bummed because Will Disley, who had been Wilson's second favorite target this season, he went down to an Achilles injury against the Browns. Uh, but they have DK Metcalf, who I think is the second best rookie receiver in the league so far this year behind Brown. And, uh, and then, you know, they have Jerron Brown, who's kind of picked up as that end zone target for Russell Wilson. And, they, they just have a really nice group of receivers that when you throw the football their way, they're, they're going to catch the football. And, and we've got to see DK Metcalf now with kind of showing off his ability to run with the ball after the catch now uh, in this last game against the Browns. Oh, absolutely. It's interesting. The Will Disley loss is huge yeah, with Seattle's player, yeah. prowess and desire to run the ball. So it's going to be interesting to see how uh, Pete Carroll and company deploy a game plan to keep pounding, but also utilizing more wide receivers to play off in that run game. And obviously the crowd always seems to be a major factor when playing the Seahawks in Seattle. What are a few ways that you've seen other teams, for instance, or that the Ravens could try to neutralize the crowd in your opinion? Well, that might be one of the benefits of having Roman who's come into Seattle. And because I know when, when San Francisco was coming in, the thing that they would do is they would actually wear hearing protection or for the players on the field and, right. and that would help them and, and to go with the silent count because even even when you're using your silent count I, I feel like that noise can just it, it can uh, it, it can affect you and have an impact on you. So uh, I think he's going to know how to deal with that a little bit. You probably saw it a, a little bit even playing in Kansas City, you know, another noisy environment. And you guys played the the Chiefs pretty close as well. So I'm I'm curious. to I know it'll have an impact, but um, I, I guess I don't know if it'll it'll if it'll be the deciding factor in the game. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. I think it's uh, something that you really have to account for. Um, I think, you know, these are two coaches that I don't necessarily know Carol's exact track record off the top of my head with this, but I feel like there have been some big spots where he's pulled out the trick plays. And I know John Harbaugh is addicted to trick plays a little bit, uh, and he'll pull them out and maybe not the best, uh, best time. So in a game that has potential to maybe get a little weird, is that something that you could see happening? I know it's kind of impossible to predict, but I guess the question is, have they tried anything like that yet this season, the Seahawks? Has it been successful? And, you know, could you see him pulling one out here maybe? No, in fact, we haven't yet really seen a, a big trick play out of the Seahawks this year. And they, they do pull it out from time to time. But it's, uh, you know, other than, you know, running uh, you know, a jet sweep type of play to Tyler Lockett or DK Metcalf, that's about all we've seen out of this team so far. So uh, definitely not to the extent of, of Harbaugh, but, um, you know, it, it is something that they can break out from time to time. It's something I'm always interested in because it feels like the Patriots are the only ones that consistently run good trick plays and they're the one team that probably doesn't need them. Yeah, you know, there's there's been a couple times where I, I felt like they were setting it up and and then maybe they went away from it. So I know that they're in the playbook, but uh, just not something that, you know, the thing that we always see as Seahawks fans are, I think, Russell Wilson's favorite play. And he broke this out against the Rams uh, quite a few times uh, a couple weeks back is where he, he drops back and then an offensive lineman fails to account for the guy that he's blocking. And then Russell Wilson has to dodge that guy. And then he throws to the open man down the field. So that that's kind of been Russell's go-to play this year. 
Right. And I'm going to go ahead and predict that Harbaugh in his ultra aggression is going to bust out the old Sam Cook punter pass. Cook has a kicker or a punter are going to throw a pass in this game. I for the Ravens. We can almost guarantee it. This is the same head coach that had Justin Tucker try to run a fourth and nine conversion out of a field goal formation in in the the Super Super Bowl. Bowl against the 49ers so <laughs> yeah. nothing is out of question in this game uh brandon coming down to it score prediction time what do you got brother Ooh, uh, you know i i liked uh, when when luke came on the show and he had a prediction i do think that the winning team is going to score in the 30s and i don't think i've seen the ravens do that quite yet so i do like the seahawks to at maybe 33 points and i'm going to say that the ravens are within six so 27 I like that prediction because the Ravens always play up or down on the road. They seem to always play up. But as you said, they're not able to get into shootouts and win, especially on the road. So I really feel that prediction. I'm probably right in the same boat with you. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and just the way these defenses are, I just I don't see it being a defensive matchup. I think it's going to be coming down to whoever has the ball last. And for whatever reason, Pete Carroll is so he's. He's so okay with the fact of maybe even being down. And and so the Ravens may have the lead. They might be up, you know, 27, 26 going into the last four minutes of the game. And it's going to come down to Russell Wilson and a touchdown drive uh, to, to win it at the end. And that would not shock me because Russell Wilson so far this season, he's had three game winning drives already. And he just this last week with the win over the Browns, he became the winningest Seahawks quarterback passing Dave Craig and, and Matt Hasselbeck and their long careers uh, to become the the Seahawks quarterback with the most game-winning drives. Yeah, he's awesome. And um, in terms of your prediction, I made a similar one on your show, and it does feel like it's definitely going to be a shootout. Um, I, I mentioned on your show the, the Greg Rosenthal tweet where it's, you know, the Ravens and the Seahawks, two top five offensive teams with mediocre defenses squaring off. It's It must be the apocalypse. But uh, <laughs> it's a strange, yeah. strange world where we're living in right now. Pete Prisco is saying that uh, Russell Wilson's an MVP candidate. Oh, I saw that. And, yeah. and that's something that just has never I never dreamed I would see that day. Yeah, right. we actually uh, we, we talked to Will Brinson on our show, who's. Uh, co-workers with Pete and we, we broke out our Pete Prisco impressions and I think I threw a little <laughs> Russell Wilson jab in there to try to make it more realistic yeah <laughs> it's funny let's just say hopefully Russell Wilson's earpiece and microphone whatever's in his helmet stay on I don't want him uh, coming, out of, <laughs> coming out of this game at the end of the game like yeah I actually called all 11 of those plays on the Seahawks seven play scoring drive to w- win the game that would just oof, infuriate me yeah yeah how about that yeah it's uh, you know it was fun watching him he they actually gave him the uh, play call sheet in the fourth preseason game against right. Oakland and he was calling the plays in that too so he had a little bit of practice going in before his headset got uh, turned off against the the Browns they might have just turned it off themselves who knows they're like it might have been. you know Pete Carroll may have done it he's kind of yeah. a trickster they were like Schottenheimer eh, Wilson yeah 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 I mean that makes I've, I've all been the impressed sense. you know Schottenheimer I was down on that whole idea of Brian Schottenheimer coming to the Seahawks but I gotta say I, I'm kind of getting on board the way that he's working with Russell Wilson we've seen improvement out of him especially with in terms of Russell Wilson's pocket presence and you know whether that's just kind of his natural progression as a quarterback but I I have to expect that Brian Schottenheimer has something to do with it he is an interesting dude Schottenheimer I don't know if you ever read collision low crossers um, but he's yeah. a yeah and I, I love him in that book. So um, maybe the the success hasn't always been there for him in the field, but uh, it's, it's good to see that this year. So uh, definitely, um, you know, going to be interesting to see what goes down on Sunday. Brandon, we really appreciate it, man. Really like this uh, this home and home thing that we had going on here. And uh, you, you did great with the analysis, buddy. So thanks. Thanks again for coming on. Yeah, I appreciate, appreciate you guys having so me on. Yeah, Thank definitely. Uh, where can the good people of the show find you on social media? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter. I am at Seahawkers Pod. I, I also do the Seahawkers podcast, and we have a breakdown of our uh, preview mat. Uh, previewing the matchup of Sunday's game with the Ravens and then also at field goals. And uh, anyone, of course, can sub- subscribe there, subscribe to our show, subscribe to your show, SBNation.com slash NFL podcasts. Yeah, just go ahead and download it, guys. Even if you don't want to listen, it might put a shekel or two in our good buddy's pocket. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Please do. Uh, yep, that's what we're doing. We said that your uh, your podcasting setup that we can see here on video uh, was very intimidating to us, but also inspiring. <laughs> we we hope to get to your level of uh, podcasting prowess someday. But yep, once again, we appreciate it, and best of luck on Sunday, okay? Thanks, guys. Bye. 
All right, so we're back from our interview with Brandon, and we wanted to do a little bit of our own analysis of this game, as we always do with these games. So I just kind of wanted to get your general outlook, you know, where you're at as far as a feel with this team, because they're four and two. They've had some some pretty good wins, uh, you know, a bad loss, another loss that wasn't particularly fun. What is kind of just your general feeling with this team heading into week seven? That... I feel like I personally, and maybe we, speaking for you, I think you're a little bit more reserved than I am in some ways uh, as we headed into the season. Oh, underestimated that this team was going to take some time to figure out who does what, what works, what doesn't, and get some chemistry going. At this point, Chuck Clark, Marcus Peters, Josh Bynes, and LJ Fort are going to be taking starter snaps in week seven. You would have if you would have wagered one dollar, you would be a billionaire if you could somehow have put that into a Las Vegas odds machine. Um, so it's been unpredictable. I love what the Ravens have done adapting, and it seems like DaCosta is much more willing to part ways with players that aren't performing or growing quickly enough and has a little bit more of a business side to him as far as you're not it's performance based at the end of the day it's you know the same as a sales job if you don't meet quota you're going to end up getting fired if you don't meet quota 6 months in a row so 6 games in a row you don't meet quota 5 games in a row Kenny Young is out uh, Tim Williams is out inserting a couple guys off of the free agent market that are veterans with some experience. And as this team has had, uh, you know, some injury woes, but generally knock on wood, tap, tap, tap on the offensive side of the ball. They're relatively healthy on the defensive side of the ball. Things are OK. The secondary is banged up, but guys are coming back and being moved around. So um, it's an interesting place for the team to be. And as I've said before, the bye week is going to be an outstanding thing. Harbaugh and company do a great job of what I like to call taking inventory and cutting losses. So as they get into the uh, P&L after the bye week, they'll be able to see what works, what doesn't, and try and get their real identities asserted as a football team as they have a tough stretch coming up out of the bye week. Yeah, they definitely do. So before we jump into the game, where, where are you kind of at with the acquisitions? Because it feels like Bynes has been a good signing. Fort's gotten into the mix a little bit and maybe some updated thoughts on the Peters trade. I know it's only been a few days, but what are you going to do? So lumping those three guys together, there's one trait I would say that they will universally bring as a collective in the new additions to the defense and it's play recognition, um, knowing a screen is coming and having a little bit of experience to see. It feels like those three guys probably are bigger film study guys than you know maybe Kenny Young, who's still learning what he needs to study at what time and how to figure out an NFL routine. Um, so I think that Peters, Bynes, and Fort will help with what's been hurting the Ravens. And uh, defensively, I would say that the it's underneath passing as a whole. We've talked about it. It's when teams line up in a trips bunch, someone runs into the flats, and... Anthony Averett, Maurice Kennedy don't know who the hell they're supposed to cover. There's an easy six-yard catch that has a path to the sideline. Um, those crossers, those drags, those underneath routes, the screens, not recognizing where a screen is coming and when and how to kind of – should I keep the sideline or should I steer this to the sideline? What leverage should I take on this screen when it's in front of me? Um, those are things that guys like Tim Williams – did not have great play recognition. Kenny Young really struggled with ball fakes and play actions. So those guys should be able to come in and do the the fundamental things better than what we've seen and seen from the guys that they ended up replacing. Um, so, I mean, you can be the most athletic guy in the world. You can be Odell Beckham's cousin. I can't recall his first name, but, you know, he ran a 4-3-5, could bench 225, 38 times. Yes, Teron Beckham. Um, but he doesn't know the game of football. He doesn't know his assignment. He doesn't know what he's supposed to be doing or where or when. And having a smart guy is usually better. If you have an NFL athlete versus an elite NFL athlete and one guy's smarter than the other, you're going to want the smart guy in the end. I'm going to flip my favorite uh, interviewing technique on myself here and say that the word I'd use to describe this defense right now as you know, compared to before is cohesion feels like there's more cohesiveness they they're lined up a, you know a little bit better they're not getting caught out of place and that's led to a little bit less of the big plays that we were used to seeing over the first couple games of the season and it feels like it's a lot more tightened up would you agree with that absolutely uh, i think that cohesiveness is 
integral to the success of a team, particularly uh, on the back end defensively, as well as on the front end in the offensive line on the offensive side of the ball. And being able to trust the guy next to you, knowing what and where and when your teammate is going to do whatever he's going to do so that you can depend and kind of know what's going on without looking. Um, When teams get into trouble, they don't know what's happening behind them to the left of them around them. And that's when, you know, the big plays happen. That's when the Ricky seals Jones 58 yard reception uncovered happens. That's when the Miko Hardman 73 yard touchdown up the seam happens. That's when the Nick Chubb uh, 87 yard touchdown, I believe happens. So taking away those big plays is something that happens by being cohesive and playing 11 man defense. So jumping into the game now, Ravens traveling to the West Coast. The game's a 425 p.m. kickoff. I know you're not an NFL player, but if there are anything that you could point to to say how it would maybe affect the team just on a human level, what would you kind of you know look at? That traveling a long time tires you out and can kind of take you know the wind out of your sails a little bit, taking a long flight and packing for it and just adding that extra time. And it's also the uncertainty. Lamar Jackson's never been to Seattle. Um, He's, you know, where do I do whatever? Where, what is the landscape like here? Uh, How are the locker rooms? What time do they let certain events happen? What time do I get on the field? What is the turf or grass like there? I believe it's turf. What is the turf like there? Um, Just little variables that you're not sure of. So you have to find out and be a little bit more reactionary and then just probably being a tick more tired. Yeah, definitely. I would agree with that. So jumping into it on a bit more of a technical micro level, looking at the Seahawks offense, you mentioned that you know, bringing in some of these new guys have led to better play recognition, watching their offense on tape. What are some of the things that you think that the Ravens defense is going to be recognizing some of the plays and tendencies? The Seahawks like to use dummy routes and it's something that Schottenheimer is notorious for as well as his father. Um, Dummy routes, meaning that they're not going to catch the ball Tyler Lockett is going to run direct. If you get a certain coverage, Tyler Lockett will run directly at a safety so that that safety won't cover a backside post deep so that if a team is playing, for instance, a cover three where a safety and both boundary cornerbacks are going to drop, Tyler Lockett will attack Earl Thomas. And let's say that Marcus Peters is covering DK Metcalf on the weak side and is expecting Earl Thomas to be deep. All of a sudden, Earl Thomas might bite on that Tyler Lockett kind of post route or just an over route to get Earl Thomas's attention. And if Peters has outside leverage and the post comes inside, DK Metcalf runs a 4-3. So just generally, the Seahawks do a good job setting you up game to game and doing something simple early to shock you later and catch you off guard later. So they play chess uh, offensively which is interesting because they have a power run game and power run games are usually kind of vanilla hat on a hat, you know, buckle up your chin strap and go hit somebody. But they have this really intricate finesse passing game that is all made possible by the fact that Russell Wilson can buy himself time uh, as he does almost every single snap and that he is, in my opinion and many others opinions, the best deep ball thrower in the NFL. He has the most amount of quote unquote dime throws per playerprofiler.com from Roto World, which is hitting a player uh, within a one yard catchable area, 30 or more yards downfield. He's done that 16 times, which is the most in the NFL by three. So he can really drop a splash in a bucket. So going back to that chess game that you mentioned, what are some ways to mitigate that defensively? Is it just, you know, telling your guys to stay focused through the whole game or are there technical things that you can do? Maybe give some plays up early that you wouldn't normally to kind of bait them into doing something or is there just kind of no fix to it? There's a fix to it. It's keeping your assignment and not letting the small, the the paper cuts get to you. The paper cuts are how you win, letting up the paper cuts and then tackling. 
and knowing that they're trying to set you up. So it's a mentality. I wouldn't say it's technical as much as far as like any sort of football technique is just knowing that based on personnel and what you've seen in the film room that they are trying to set you up and keeping your job and your assignment and being alert for what they might do. So kind of predicting, being a little bit uh, ahead of the curve as best as you can into, okay, through the first quarter, maybe the first half, the Seahawks have been, you know, running slants. There might be a sluggo coming, so I can't bite these slants as hard as I want to because they might end up, you know, running a double move. And teams don't usually do that to the Ravens. And because Russell Wilson is Fran Tarkenton reincarnated, he's able to buy himself time. And as I said, he puts the ball in the money. So bite on the wrong route. It's going to be a 50 yard gain, a 40 yard gain, a touchdown, something of the sort. Russell Wilson does not miss. When I'm like taking a free throw or I'm stepping over a golf shot, I have a lot of thoughts going through my mind and I'm trying to sort of coordinate them so that I can perform my best. If you're a defensive player looking at Russell Wilson, what the hell is going through your mind and how do you maybe mitigate them to, you know, defend him in the best way possible? Because he is a very unique talent. It's tough. And what I want to say, and you guys know that I'm a little bit of a salty Patrick Mahomes guy, but I feel that what people think Patrick Mahomes is, is actually what Russell Wilson is. He can throw to any spot on the field as accurately, more accurately, actually, than anyone in the game. So if you think that the deep over route is getting out of his range, it's not. He is an elite baseball player. He could have easily been a hot. I think he was drafted pretty high in the in one of the MLB drafts. Um, he can throw across his body. We saw that Tyler Lockett touchdown against the Rams. Next Gen Stats had that as the lowest probability throw and catch that they've ever recorded in their history. And so basically you think that if you think that Russell Wilson can't make a throw, you're going to get torched cover whistle to whistle If Wilson runs for 70 yards, I don't give a damn. He's not Lamar Jackson down the field. He's not going to, you know, have those 50 yard runs anymore. He doesn't try to do that as much. He does want to get first downs and slide and get down. And if that is what ends up beating you, I'm I'm happier than if it's me in coverage, not expecting Wilson to make a throw because, again, he can make any throw. So if you're Wink Martindale and you're in the the big defensive meeting prior to the game, you're starting that slideshow off with Wilson, I'm guessing, right? Yes. Who's the next guy then? It's got to be Chris Carson. They've been handing him the ball. I mean, I believe he's averaging about 17.3 touches per game. Uh, He's gone over 20 carries a couple of times and he's physical. He doesn't look physical. He's kind of, you know, not the biggest running back and he does have some speed to him, but he doesn't really have home run speed. Um, I think in a straight line race, Mark Ingram might actually beat him if, you know, they, they run a hundred yards straight, but he's physical. He's very, uh, and it's, classic recency bias for me to say this but this is not the first time that i'm sure a lot of people have heard this he has a little bit of marsh on to him and what that means is that he maintains his balance through contact contorts his body and embraces contact going through it really well he has a really nice stiff arm he's quick he has great feet he is patient while also knowing when to hit the hole um Personally, I don't think and we just had uh, Brendan Schultz on the show and he thought that, you know, the Seahawks are going to be able to run the ball down the Ravens throat. Chris Carson is not the type of running back and the Seahawks Seahawks offensive line is not that great. They do run the ball a lot. Um, I don't think they're as efficient as a lot of common folk try to try to put out. They do set up the pass by running, but this is not the type of running back that typically gives the Ravens problems. He doesn't have breakaway speed. He can get, you know, 20, 30 yard runs frequently, but he's not going to be flipping the field consistently. And when the Ravens play running backs that try to wear you down, they have Michael Pierce. They have Brandon Williams. Chris Wormley is very good against the run. Pernell McPhee is extremely physical. So is Judon. Um, Bynes, if he's able to play somewhat as well as he has recently, is a good matchup player as a linebacker. Um, Marlon Humphrey's physical. So you guys know the Ravens defense. It's a physical bunch, and usually other teams can't punish the Ravens with the, the ground and pound. Um, but you do want to make sure to finish tackling him and not let him get 15-yard gains out of what should be five-yard runs. 
Yeah, that's actually an astute observation by you on their their rushing attack because they're third in overall offensive DVOA, 19th in rushing with a negative six uh, percentage, first in passing with a 62.9 percentage. What is kind of your approach then if you're Wink Martindale knowing all those stats and just taking a macro viewpoint of the game? You want to make sure and the defense needs to make sure that their their gap responsibility and that they know how to line up over the Seahawks running game, meaning that if the Seahawks bring a second blocker, like a, let's say they have they have actually a pretty good fullback, but let's say they bring Luke Wilson over in motion. Make sure you slide down on the strong side if they have two additional blockers on one side of the line. But you don't want to overly stack the box. Russell Wilson's deadly in play action. Um, I, you know, Ben Baldwin's a huge Seahawks guy and one of the leaders in EPA and NFL Scrap R and all of the analytics community is very well respected. And he's a Seahawks fan personally, and he always kind of laughs when people say that you know the Seahawks ground game is great because they do put up the numbers. They're nowhere near as efficient as the Ravens are, though, in DVOA and an EPA per rushing attempt and your EPA per rushing play. Whereas, as you said, Russell Wilson is the best the highest DVOA passer. He's never outside the top five and it would make more sense. Um, and this is where we, we talked with Emery hunt about analytics versus, you know, actual football. So numbers versus religion versus science is what I like to call it. And you can say that the Seahawks don't have an efficient run game. They also have a piss poor offensive line. And if you think back to about three, four years ago, kind of right after the, Legion of Boom dissolved a little bit and there was some transition in Seattle. Um, the Russell Wilson was getting assaulted. He was getting beat up. They tried to put the ball in his hands and, and let him just win. But his EPA and the passing games efficiency is predicated upon not overdoing it. It allows Wilson to run in play action and it makes defenders not able to pin their ears back and rush him. He is super elusive, but you can sack the man. He's not, you know, literally Henry Houdini, although he does some crazy things. So they do need to run the ball. And if you disagree with that, I'm going to disagree with you. I think that Russell Wilson is similar to Joe Flacco. He's a a deep ball thrower. Can you never say that again in your entire life? I think that the basically the run game just helps them and the play action, the deep ball throwing and and it's easy for Ravens fans to understand Flacco when he's throwing the ball 45 times a game just isn't as effective as he is when he's throwing the ball 31 times a game. And you can argue that to the till you're blue in the face with me. I'm never going to switch sides on that one. So last question on the defense. How much are you going to be playing Marcus Peters if you're wink? A lot. Oh, all of it. Every snap because Jimmy Smith's probably not going to play Kennedy, I believe, returned to practice. Um, He's, you know, banged up with a thigh injury and has a hammy injury as well. So he's kind of questionable. And then beyond that, I mean, it's Cyrus Jones and Justin Bethel. So that and Brandon Carr as well, obviously. But, um, you know, those guys are going to end up having to play a lot. The Seahawks are down a tight end. They're down Will Disley. And Pete Carroll is pretty much addressed to the media saying that they're going to have to get creative because Luke Wilson uh, knows the offense well. He has been with the Seahawks for a while, um, although they just brought him back after Oakland cut him. But that's their only you know, feasible tight end that they can trot out a lot. And they like to use unbalanced six-man lines. They like to go heavy personnel with two wide receivers. So they like the 12 personnel, the 21 personnel, 22, all that good stuff. Um, so they're not going to be able to do that. And as I was just saying, if, if they want to run the ball out of kind of lighter 11 personnel and stuff, I don't think Chris Carson's the kind of back that can really hurt the Ravens that way. So um, it's going to be interesting to see how that pans out. Yeah, definitely. So switching over to the offense, I kind of we touched on sort of the the bird's eye view of the season up to this point going into this game. I mean, it feels like a tough spot for them a little bit. What are some things over the last couple of weeks uh, that you've seen them do well and some things that you think they need to tighten up in what's going to be a tough environment? It is going to be a tough environment. The stadium is built acoustically for those that don't know. So literally when they designed Quest, they angled the bleachers or CenturyLink, pardon me, um, angled the bleachers and the actual architecture of the stadium to direct the fans noise 
at the field. So it's something they take great pride in. Uh, based on the last couple of games, I love the running game. I love the efficiency. And again, it's it's Greg Roman's flubber rushing attack. Whatever the other team wants to take away, if they don't want you to run inside zone, Greg Roman won't run inside zone. He'll just let them have that one because it is so multiple and so diverse that they can attack you with outside power, traps, read option, RPO, all of these little things. So wherever you try to push the Ravens rushing attack, it just melds through the wall into something else. Um, so that's something that's been really impressive and fun to watch as a Ravens fan is we've seen the Marty Moore and Wig rushing attack is not good as it hasn't been for the last couple of years until Roman came in and kind of put his blueprint on it and now fully has the vice grip on it. Um, I've also liked what I've seen out of the offensive line that's been throughout the entire season. Bozeman did have four pre-snap penalties last game. Uh, I didn't recognize those when I was at the game and we did our initial podcast. I didn't realize that Bozeman was the culprit on all four of them. So if the Ravens back themselves up, Let's put it like this. You're a Seahawks fan. You're sitting in the stadium. The Seahawks fans take great pride in how loud their stadium is. And they like to be, you know, the loudest. And we have this great stadium. We have the 12th man, you know, they ring the bell or whatever the hell it is and get everybody going. And Bradley Bozeman jumps off sides. It's first and 15. What do you think the crowd's reaction is going to be? Hell yeah. We help do that. Let's get louder. So you can't step on your own feet and have pre-snap penalties that is priority number one is mitigating that noise and neutralizing it so that you're not putting lamar jackson on the road in a new place against a team he doesn't know very much about on first and 15 and kind of putting that pressure on him although he kind of is like a diamond man i mean in tough environments, backed up in the playoffs, losing. He aired it out and got back in the game in Kansas City. He's rebounded extremely well twice. So when the pressure's on against good teams, he does seem to respond well. But I don't want to bank on that. I would prefer to just not and to just keep the pre-snap penalties out of it. Yeah, definitely. He he has risen up in what's been a pressure spot for the team in the last couple of weeks. And uh, he's definitely done so Um by cutting it loose a little bit more, not trying to make it happen through the air if he doesn't have right. to, and going to the ground a little bit more. So you've got a rushing DVOA for the Seahawks on defense that's ranked number 21, so they're they're not great at stuffing the run. Do you think Mark Ingram is going to be involved big time in this one, and do you think that Lamar is going to be as well on the ground to kind of maybe try and free Ingram and some of these other running backs up? I absolutely think Ingram's going to be really involved, and I don't want to see a ton of Lamar Jackson in this game uh, as far as the the read option. I'm okay with some quarterback-designed runs a little bit more and some boots, things like that, but Ingram actually was out-snapped by Gus Edwards 33-31 to 31 last week, and I think that that was a conscious effort knowing that they need to rely on Ingram's experience, and he's someone who's played the Seahawks quite a few times as he was a saint, and they've had some classic matchups over the last couple of years. So I think this is a huge mark. Ingram game. Um, one huge thing of note for the Seahawks is that they're regaining one of the best interior defensive linemen in the league in Jaron Reed, who has been suspended for the first six games. He get He's all around. He's great. He's what I wish and a lot of Ravens fans wish Brandon Williams was. Crazy good against the run. Very disruptive. Athletic for how big he is to the point where he can chase the quarterback down and pushes the pocket well. Um, so they also have Puna Ford, who is similar and still growing. Mixed up with Jadevian Clowney, Ziggy Ansah. Then behind them, they have Bobby Wagner, all-pro, all-world linebacker. One of my favorite players in the entire NFL to watch. It is a joy. If you love Ray Lewis, I'm not saying he's as good as Ray Lewis, but um, he's you know in that Patrick Willis, Ray Lewis mold of physicality and intangibles mixed with good athleticism. Uh, they also have K.J. Wright, who's really experienced. Can't fool him. I think that... If the Ravens want to go in and run the rinky-dink read option shit, it's going to get shut down. Uh, this is an experienced defense. And Genevieve and Clowney is – if I could pick one player in the NFL to blow up the read option, it's probably Clowney. He's one of those dudes that can play the running back and the quarterback at the same time. So I want true rushes. I want pow – Power and trap blocks, um, double teams across, tiring guys out. And Mark Ingram is universally every year top five in yards after contact. So hit him at the line of scrimmage on first and 10. It's probably going to be second and seven. He always gets pushed. Um, so I expect Mark Ingram to have a huge role in this game. 
So not a lot of Lamar on the ground you you want to see. So I'm guessing you want to see him air it out in the spots where he's going to have to. Seahawks pass defense, 6.3 net positive percent. So 15th overall in pass defensive DVOA. What is kind of your approach if you're Roman to get some of these wide receivers open? Because it had been a little bit one dimensional with uh, Hollywood Brown. You've seen Boykin get involved a little bit in the past couple of weeks. What are they going to have to kind of do to get some of these other guys involved and be a little more diverse in the passing game? To be honest, just throw them the damn ball. Um, they're Simple not enough. calling plays. Roman hasn't called plays, and Jackson hasn't looked the way of Boykin, Roberts, and Snead a ton. Against the Bengals, he did a little bit more, and that's due to the absence of Hollywood, I truly believe. Um, Boykin, I've, I've, we've been on the Boykin train, man. We've been on the Boykin train since day freaking one of training camp when he was mossing guys. And he had some shaky drops here and there through the preseason and uh, had, I think, maybe one or two early in the year in the first or second game. Throw him deep post routes. He's getting separation. So I follow uh, a Instagram account. I actually saw him. So it's a guy that trains receivers and DBs. Uh, it's it's Gold Feet Global, and he was actually at Ravens training camp. And I said yeah, hi to him. I, I he trains that. Hollywood, and he posted a clip of. Miles Boykin absolutely obliterating William Jackson on that slant that he caught last week by resetting the line it's called, which is if a if a DB's in your way, you want to break one way or the other, attack them vertically so you kind of change their plane and then break your route off. And Boykin did it so incredibly. It was really impressive, and I would just love to see that. The Seahawks are kind of really similar to the Ravens stylistically, as you said, organizationally and have that hard nosed culture. But if you look at their personnel, it is basically the exact inverse of the Ravens. Their receivers are a little bit stronger than their running game. And if you look at PFF, uh, three receivers are rated ahead of Carson. Their offensive line has been dreadful. Their highest rated offensive lineman, according to PFF, is Mike Iapati, who's a 62.1. Both of their tackles are piss poor. And if you flip over to the defensive side of the ball, uh, the Seahawks front and front seven are their strength with Wagner and the guys that I named. Whereas Tedrick Thompson, their free safety, uh, McDougald and Flowers and Taylor and some of these guys, they're not good. They're not good. Thompson, Tedrick Thompson is the lowest rated free safety by PFF in the league. He's been getting torched. And the Seahawks defense, the addition of Jaron Reed coming back will be huge. But if you look at their just how many points they've let up, it's not something hard to view or understand. They've let up 20 or more points in five of six games. The low uh, underneath being the Cardinals only put up 10 as the Seahawks kind of dominated them. And the Ravens saw the, the Cardinals early on and they weren't really, you know, firing on all cylinders yet. It was Murray's first couple games and uh, Murray seems to have really improved and that offense has gotten a lot better. So it's kind of wherever you think the Ravens are weak is where the Seahawks are strong and wherever you think the Seahawks are strong uh, is where the Ravens are weak. So it's kind of flip flop personnel wise, which is interesting. I feel like the tight ends are going to have a big role here too. give me your sort of ideal involvement for all three of them. You don't necessarily have to give numbers, but you can if you want. Um, I want to see Hayden Hurst, man. I really do. Mark Andrews is I've talked about it, that Zach Ertz effect where Jackson just trusts Andrews to get open against zone. Uh, the Seahawks exclusively run cover three. That's their thing. That's, you know, was Earl Thomas's thing. That's why the Ravens kind of brought him over because they were running cover one and cover three primarily, which is same the same concepts for Thomas. Uh, so I think that the Seahawks are going to put a lot of attention on Andrews. And of course, when he's open, throw him the ball. But use him on, let's say, a seven-yard in and hitch and have Hayden Hurst run a 12-yard crosser behind him. I guarantee those linebackers and safeties will come up and jump on Andrews, and Willie Sneed and Hayden Hurst will be able to uh, fit it over top of the kind of second the second wave of defenders. Um, so I'd really like to see Hayden Hurst involved a lot as opposed to – force-feeding Mark Andrews. I want Hurst to take half of Andrews' targets and looks and play designs in this game. In terms of just your overall gut feeling, I guess, let's say you know we sit down and we start to watch the game. At what point do you start to feel a little anxious about the fact that they haven't scored a touchdown yet if they haven't? I'm anxious if the Ravens haven't scored a touchdown by the time they've punted three times to start. So if the Ravens 
don't score a field goal, have three possessions where they're punting the Seahawks the ball. I would think that means it's uh, going to be a defensive affair, a low-scoring affair, and I'm like, uh-oh, Seahawks are kind of coming in with a strong game plan and the Ravens aren't doing what they should be against this Seattle front. So the Seahawks have a lot of power up front. The Ravens have a lot of power up front as well. Um, I think that speed rushers and speed is what kind of negates the Ravens uh, speed of their playmakers and kind of what they want to do. So power on power, I kind of like the Ravens as a whole, but if the Ravens haven't scored through their first three possessions, even a field goal, I'm worried. Yeah, definitely. Speed kills, speed thrills. So, I exactly. guess that's, guess that's a preview. Unless you got anything else, anything else you want to uh, touch on here? Special teams is going to play a huge factor. Um, the Ravens and Hewitt are very upset with the way that the uh, kick return kind of opened the game last week, and that he was talking about how. Jaleel Scott is the third string at his position on kick coverage. And basically they're getting too fancy kind of airing that ball and trying to pin teams deep. Um, so with Elliot out and a lot of new guys coming in, kick the ball out of the damn end zone. I don't want to see that in this one until the, maybe a couple kicks in, let's say it's the third kickoff, then start playing around with that. Once everybody has a feel for what's going on. And if you think you're out physicaling them, the other thing is that I think Harbaugh is going to try and do what he did in Kansas city, playing a good team on the road, going for it on fourth down, going for two things like that to try and score as many points as possible. So I would expect Harbaugh to be very aggressive. And my final prediction, my bold prediction is that Sam cook, has his first incompletion of his career as he is six for six. I see the Ravens trying to bring out some of that special teams magic that they like to do uh, with the trickery and fakes. And Cook is a hell of a passer, according to his 158.3 passer rating. But I think the Seahawks might be ready for it because they're a really high DVOA and respected special teams unit, just like the Ravens. Yeah, that guy Michael Dixon is like a historically good punter, too. So whoever's back there returning punts is going to have to be careful. Yeah, I really like what Cyrus Jones has done. I think that uh, he muffed one last year and didn't end up in the doghouse, but definitely got an earful and maybe put in his kennel for a little bit. Uh, He's been amazing as far as yelling poison, getting everybody away from punts that he's going to let roll and also fair catching balls, running up to fair catch balls before they take a roll and uh, being really conservative in a good way as a punt returner. So Dixon's a weapon for the Seahawks the same way that cook. And uh, they also, the Seahawks also got Jason Myers from the jets who actually went to the pro bowl over Justin Tucker last year. I don't have Myers stats in front of me, but he's a hell of a kicker. I know Tucker's spoken about how he really respects him. And this is uh, two really similar teams, coaches, organizations, play styles, Um, I won't say rosters because I think the Seahawks have a couple guys that are a little bit different in Bobby Wagner and Clowney, Um, but it should be exciting. And my final thought is that Lamar Jackson is a playmaker at quarterback. Russell Wilson is a playmaker at quarterback. And I'm really curious to see, and I think that this game might end up being a little bit more of a stalemate in a way, even if points come across the board where it's tit for tat as if I had to pick, you know, a player to practice against to prepare for Russell Wilson, it would probably be Lamar Jackson, if not like Patrick Mahomes and vice versa for Wilson to get ready for Jackson. They do similar things. It means that the defenses are used to practicing against the Houdinis. So they might be able to contain them a little bit and get them to throw the ball and make them a little bit uncomfortable. Uh, That's just my two cents on it. Maybe I'm completely wrong and the defenses just get ripped apart, but I think it might be a little bit more low scoring than some expect. So let's get a score prediction. I really like uh, Brandon's prediction and I've there's uh, my, my, Mind is telling me it's going to be a high-scoring game. My gut is telling me it's going to be low-scoring. So I'll go with my gut here, and I'm going to say 20 to 16 Seahawks. This is my first prediction for a Ravens L. Sick. Um, Yeah, I really liked his prediction, too. I made a similar one when I went on field goals. Uh, I predicted 31-26 for the Seahawks. A little bit of a weird score for the Ravens. I think it's probably going to be a little bit of a weird game and a shootout. I think the Ravens lose a close one and uh, maybe hopefully take some positive momentum going into the home matchup against New England. Absolutely. Getting ready for the bye. Um, Yeah, so we're predicting an L here. 
like when we looked at Kansas City, I did predict a win there. I just couldn't bring myself. You guys know how I hate the Chiefs. So that one was a little bit of a heart pick. But this one is one where you go into the bye week and kind of can take some good into it if you play well. And this is the Ravens. One of only two road games on the West Coast, and I feel like they usually play at least three or four typically. They have to go travel to the Rams in prime time and play them on a Monday night. Uh, Yes, my buddy Kevin, who lives out there, might be in attendance, so shout out to you, buddy. Kevin, have fun, man. We'll be looking for you on camera. Yep, definitely. So uh, I guess that's a show. That's a show. That's the whole shebang, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, feel free to rate, subscribe, review wherever you get your podcasts. Please uh, get, leave us that five-star rating. It really helps us jump up the iTunes boards. Uh, we do appreciate all the support. Been seeing some good comments on there, some good comments on the Ravens Reddit. Shout out to that spot because it's a very good place to go to get some good Ravens content. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, you can follow the show on Twitter at Podcast Beatdown. You can follow me at Jake Luke. That's L-O-U-Q-U-E. You can follow Spencer at Ravens 4 Dummies. That's the number four in the middle there. Peace out guys and have a great weekend see you you see i don't I ain't no big sack man i don't like sacks man mm-hmm. see sacks take me out of my game i like running folks down and i like interceptions and touchdowns up the street hunts like, <laughs> you in the gutter you yeah i like you in the gun i like that ball he like the trick that boy like to get down down and dirty i like busting up screen I just like hitting quarterbacks. Yeah. That's, 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 that's my plan. That's, that's a nice. I grab a quarterback. <laughs> and I bang, bang, bang all day. <laughs>